this particular chapter deals with leadership. Not just specifically, but I mean, um, you'll see what I mean as we look at it. It's not limited, I should say, not limited to leadership. It's something that we should all strive for because it's the Word of God. Amen. But especially the area of leaders, what kind of leadership, amen, are we looking for? All right, chapter 24, if you haven't, say praise the Lord. Okay, be not envious against evil men, neither desire to be with them, for their heart studieth destruction, and their lips talk of mischief. Okay, you with me? Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we come before you right now. We ask your blessing to be upon the reading of your holy word, Lord God. We give you all the glory, honor, and praise in advance, God, for what you're going to do here tonight, Lord. Let every enemy be defeated, God. Let God arise and let his enemies be scattered before him, mighty King. Lord, we love you. We thank you today in Jesus' name for this opportunity, God, to declare your word, God, to hear it and receive it and to obey it. And everybody said in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. Again, verse 1, be, thou, be not thou envious against evil men. The word evil means somebody who seeks to break apart that which is good. So an evil person is somebody that's always trying to tear down something that is good, especially in relationship to the kingdom of God. And the Bible says that we should not be jealous of that person uh, who is trying to break apart evil men, neither desire to be with them, because you become like the company you keep. He goes on and says about that person, for their heart studieth destruction, and their lips talk of mischief. So well, they are seeking to destroy other people. Now, theologians in these verses here uh, cite an example in the Word of God of Absalom. So let's go over there and let's look at that in Second Samuel chapter 15 of an evil man who sought to destroy that which was good in the kingdom of God. And he planned and he studied how to go about that. And he used evil talk, in fact, sometimes religious talk, to accomplish uh, his goals. All right? So 2 Samuel chapter 15. Let's look at this in the word of the Lord. Give you a little bit of a history of what's going on here. David at this time is about 56 years old. Okay? Absalom is 24 years old. So he's in his 20s. And then Solomon, who obviously is involved with the book of Proverbs here, was six years old. So he remembered these events that took place. So David 56, Absalom 24, and Solomon is six years old. All right, Even though he was young, he did remember this. So let's look at uh, chapter 15 of 2 Samuel. If you have it, say praise the Lord. And it came to pass after this that Absalom prepared him chariots and horses and fifty men to run before him. And Absalom rose up early and stood beside the way of the gate. And it was so that when any man that had a controversy came to the king for judgment, then Absalom called unto him and said, Of what city art thou? And he said, Thy servants, thy servant is one of the tribes of Israel. Absalom said unto him, See, thy manners are good and right, but there is no man 
deputed of the king to hear thee. Absent said, Moreover, O that I were made judge in the land, that every man which hath any suit or cause might come unto me, and I would do him justice. So you see what I'm saying? If I were in a position of judging people or able to help you, then I would call for them. I'd say, come over to me. All right? Now remember, this is all going on behind his father's back. David's back. Verse 5. And it was so that when any man came nigh to him to do him obeisance, he put forth his hand and took him and kissed him. And on this manner did Absalom to all Israel that came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Now go down to verse 12. It says, And Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Gileonite, David's counselor from his city, even from Gilo, while he offered sacrifices, and the conspiracy, say the conspiracy, was strong. For the people increased continually with Absalom. Now this goes on all the way. You keep reading through Second Samuel. It goes all the way to the uh, 18th chapter. Where Absalom is slain. So let's go over there to the 18th chapter. Okay, beginning with verse 9, Absalom met the servants of David, and Absalom rode upon a mule, and the mule went under a thick bough of a great oak. His head caught hold of the oak, and he was taken up between the heaven and the earth, and the mule that was under him went away. And a certain man saw it, behold, Joab, and he said, Behold, I saw Absalom hanged in an oak. And Joab said unto the man that told him, Behold, thou sowest him, and why didst thou not smite him there to the ground? And I would have given thee ten shekels of silver in a girdle. And the man said unto Joab, Though I should receive a thousand shekels of silver in my hand, yet would I not put forth my hand against the king's son. For in our hearing the king charged thee in Absalom, Abishiah and Itta, saying, Beware that none touch the young man Absalom. Well, later on the Bible goes on to tell us, verse 14, then said Joab, I may not tarry thus with thee. And he took three darts into his hand, thrust them through the heart of Absalom while he was yet alive in the midst of the oak. So that's how he died. So I'll give you a little understanding about Absalom. He was the son of David. Uh, he desired the throne. He tried to overthrow the uh, his own father. So the evil influence that was there was there even within the family. David's own family. Now we know ultimately that this was a judgment from God because of what David had done with Bathsheba okay, and Uriah. So ultimately it was a judgment of God. But it did not make what Absalom did the right thing. okay, Because it was a rebellion. And it was to seek to overthrow his own father. Now when you think about Absalom, think about everything that was done for him. Number one, Absalom had good looks. That's what the Bible says. He was a very handsome young man in his 20s. He had personality. He had wealth, riches, and he had rank in the kingdom of God, okay? 
So he had a lot going for him. But pride got a hold of his heart. And the manifestation of that pride was his hair. Okay, so he let his hair grow out real, real long. So that was a manifestation. That long hair was a manifestation that was in the pride of this young man's heart. Now I want you to understand, this man had a lot going for him. A lot of good things had been done for him. That made his sin worse. So this, But this pride was in his heart. Now, if you keep reading through these chapters, uh, 2 Samuel, uh, you go 15, 16, 17, 18, you'll see what kind of person he was. Okay, He was very immoral. He took ten of David's wives and had immoral relationships with them on the wall. So publicly, he pitched a tent and committed immorality with ten of David's wives. So he was a very evil young man, full of vice, full of immorality. Now, eventually David would have to leave the city. He had to get out of town, and Solomon went with him. And Solomon remembered all of these events. But not only did Absalom commit adultery, immorality in the sight publicly brother says I'm not publicly with a ten of course but it was still done publicly man he also plotted the, the death of his father David he wanted to kill David he wanted to have David slain okay so this young man handsome young man had a lot going for him rank in the kingdom as I said before uh, a status as the king's son Wealth, a lot of things going for him. But he let that get a hold of him. And pride got a hold of him, went the wrong direction. And so he began to plot and he began to plan. And his influence became something that was very, very destructive uh, to the kingdom of God. And so ultimately he died. Now, what is sad is that Ahithophel, which was David's counselor, actually sided with Absalom in the rebellion. Okay? And the reason why he did that, I believe, because Ahithophel was Bathsheba's grandfather. So there was this animosity that was in Ahithophel toward David through the years. Even though Ahithophel went to church with David, uh, the Bible says they took sweet counsel together, went to the house of God together, you know. Uh... And they were very close friends. But there was always something on the inside of Ahithophel's heart towards David because of the adultery that he committed with his granddaughter Bathsheba. So when the time came and it was ripe, the rebellion, amen, I mean it was big time, Ahithophel then sides with Absalom because of that resentment. Now both of them end up dead. The story ends up with Absalom's funeral and Ahithophel commits suicide. So it wasn't a good thing. So when we look at this, uh, go back to Proverbs 24. This is an example of these verses. Do not be envious against evil men. That, again, a person is trying to destroy that which is good. Okay? Neither desire to be with them. Do not get around people like that. Because you will begin. I know you know you think you may be strong enough, and you know, it'll never happen to you, and they can't influence in you. But according to the Word of God, 
And somebody like that you need to stay away from because we, we become like the company we keep. Okay? And so we want to obey the word of the Lord God. Now, what do they do again? Their communication, verse 2, their heart studieth destruction and their lips talk of mischief. That means their plans is to destroy. And they'll cover it up and they'll hide it, you know, and there's a cloak that's there. But they've got evil intentions. So you have to watch, and I have to watch, about who we hang around. Now, just watch. The, look at their lifestyle. All you got to do is look at their lifestyle. Everybody with me? What kind of lifestyle are they doing? Is their influence good? Or is it not good? So it's real important, brothers and sisters. It doesn't matter if it's family. I mean, this was right in the, in the family of David himself. You see? So you have to be extremely careful around people. Now, you, you okay, so just take it for what it's worth. I'm not telling you to believe me. I'm just preaching the Word of God to you. you you got to make up your own mind. you got to make up your own decisions as to who you're going to allow to influence your life. Because not everybody has good intentions or good motives. All right? So, amen. Absalom is an example of that. Let's go to verse 3. Before I go into this, I will say these first few verses are actually the chapter itself is showing you how to build wealth. So one way to lose everything is to be in the wrong company. Okay? Okay, verse 3 and 4. Through wisdom a house is builded, and by understanding it is established. And by knowledge shall the chambers be filled with all precious and pleasant riches. So here it talks about how to build the house. Okay? And after you build the house, then you can fill it with riches. So there's a way to build, and there's a way to have a house full of riches. That's wealth, correct? Okay. Let's go over to Psalm 127, verse 1. This is... Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. So life without God is empty. We can try to build things and build wealth and build houses and all of this stuff, but without God, you're laboring in vain. Except the Lord build the house, they that labor, labor in vain that build it. And if He's not your security, if He's not your protection, the enemy can come in and destroy you. So it's very important for us to understand the way to build the house is on the rock, Jesus Christ. Okay, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, you know the Sermon on the Mount, right? Okay, Jesus went up in the mountain. He began to teach the people. Number one, how do you build? Well, the foundation is Jesus Christ and His Word. You're going to build it properly. It's got to be on Jesus and His Word, okay? Sometime read the Sermon on the Mount. 5, 6, and 7. Now, what did Jesus teach? What was that foundation that He was talking about? He put an emphasis on how important the law of God is. The commandments of the Lord. How important they are. Number one, okay? Number two, He talked about fasting, and praying and almsgiving. And he said that is all good. But you cannot do it with hypocrisy. 
It can't be a show. It can't be something that you're doing to be religious. Your heart has to be right with God. You're not doing it to be seen of me and so on. So again, prayer, fasting, almsgiving. I don't have time to go over there and read these things to you, but you know it's there. Or you can read it later. And he talked about also things like clothing, things like shelter. Well, what he talked about clothing and shelter, what did he say? He understood that all of that was necessary. That's right, Sister Christina. So don't worry about that. Don't sit around like the Gentiles or the unbelievers who are constantly worried about what they're going to eat, what the, what the, you know, where they're going to live, all these things. He said, don't worry about that. He, God understands that that's necessary in this life, that we need food, that we need shelter, and that we need clothing. But what he said was that there's nothing more important than the kingdom of God. Food, shelter, those things are secondary to the kingdom of God. So they shouldn't be your focus in life. It should be the kingdom of God. Okay? So if you understand how important the commandments of God are in your life, the law of God, you understand prayer and fasting and almsgiving, but you do it with the right heart, right motive, and you understand as a human being that shelter and clothing, necessary, yes, but they're not the most important thing. And if you get that, you're starting to build a good foundation. Because you're building it on the Word of God and you understand that except the Lord build the house, they that labor or labor, I'm wasting my time. If God is not in this, then uh, my life is going to be empty. And ultimately, it's going to be destroyed because you're building your life on sand. You're not building it on the Word of God. You're building it on sand. And when the storms come, the Bible is very clear, it's going to wipe you out. If you built on the principles of the Word of God and Lord Jesus Christ, when the storms come, guess what? Your house will remain standing. Why? Because you built it right. Say praise the Lord. Built it right. Now once you get the house built right, then you can fill the house with riches. True riches. So verse 4, And by knowledge, say knowledge, shall the chambers be filled with all precious and pleasant riches. You got the house built right, and then you put the treasures or the riches in the house, and uh, it's going to be a true wealth. Amen. Based on the Word of God. Well, the most important thing is that you put in that house the riches of wisdom and knowledge and understanding and uh, walking with the Lord. That's the most important thing that you want in your house. Hallelujah. Okay, verse 5 and 6 deals with warfare. What kind of leaders do you want? What kind of leaders do you want around you? What kind of leaders do I want around me? What kind of leaders do I want to be? Okay? Verse 5. A wise man is strong, yea, a man of knowledge increases strength. For by wise counsel thou shalt what? Make war. In the multitude of counselors there is safety. So you want leaders, you want people in your life uh, that are speaking into your life, wise counsel that will give you the ability to overcome, to conquer 
the battles, the war that's in your life. How many of y'all have battles in life? Okay. So avail yourself of wise people that can help you make good decisions in life so that you can be victorious in battle. And the king would want somebody that's very wise around him. Uh, throughout history, not in, only in the kingdom of God, but throughout history, the Roman Empire, whatever, Greek, Babylon, Medo-Persian empires, kings had men around them that gave them advice, okay, as to what to do, how to fight a battle, or, or whether or not to go into battle. And a wise king had the ability to know if the, the words that were being spoken to him was good or not. So sometimes he wouldn't accept the counsel of the leaders. Sometimes he would. But he had people around him that would help him make good decisions before he went into battle. Now, some of it wasn't uh, godly, of course. They would get into all kinds of stuff, soothsaying and, and uh, praying over animals. You know, God, give us an answer through this animal. Do something to the internal organs to let us know uh, what we're supposed to do, you know, and if the the organs were normal, they would move a certain way. If they opened up the animal and the, the uh, and organs were not normal, some strange veins were running there or whatever, they would know. They, I don't know how they did it. I don't know because I'm not into that. But they would interpret their movements based on the entrails of the animals. And they had so-called wisdom people around them that could read the entrails of animals. So we don't get into that kind of stuff. But I'm just telling you that if you want to be victorious in life, how many want to be victorious in life? Then have people around you that walk in the Word of God, that have the wisdom of God, that live for the Lord, that live by the Word of God. Amen? That know how to apply the Word of God. That can give you answers. Don't hang around people that are going to lead you the wrong direction. As the previous verses talk about, get around people that will help you. Now, sometimes they're not always going to tell you what you want to hear because they're not yes men. Now, most of the time, the leaders around the pagan kings, they were just yes men. They'd just tell the king whatever he wanted to hear. You know, well, yeah, go to battle. You'll be victorious. Well, he got, might get wiped out. But they told him what he wanted to hear because they were just yes men. Okay? You want somebody that will give you the Word of God. Amen to help you overcome the battles that are in your life. And I promise you, brothers and sisters, God wants you to know. He wants you to be victorious. He does not want you as a believer walking through life defeated. He doesn't want you conquered. He doesn't want you defeated. He doesn't want the enemy winning in your life. He wants you to win. And oftentimes the reason why we fail is because we're not allowing proper people in our life to speak into our life to help us, to tell us what we need to do. Amen? Praise God. Hallelujah. So if you want to go to war, you got to have wise counsel. Leadership around you should be wise uh, because sometimes, amen, things get really intense. In the days of Absalom and that rebellion, man, everything was hanging in the balance. Brothers and sisters, it was all hanging in the balance. And Ahithophel, the wise counselor of David, joined with Absalom you know what happened? There was a man named by the name of Hushai. He was a wise man. He joined with David. And he said, Ahithophel told Solomon to do a certain thing when he went to battle. Do you know 
if Absalom had listened to Ahithophel, Absalom would have won. Ahithophel told Absalom the right thing to do in battle. But Absalom didn't listen to him. There was another man, Hushai, who was a friend of David, who went over there to Absalom. At the same time Ahithophel was telling Absalom to do this, Hushai said, do this. Absalom didn't listen to Ahithophel. He didn't know that Hushai was a friend of David. He didn't know that God had planted Hushai to defeat Absalom's rebellion there. And so when Hushai told him what to do, it was the very thing that brought down Absalom. It was his defeat. See, God knows what he's doing. Hallelujah. But if I'm telling you, if Absalom had just listened to Ahithophel, Absalom would have wiped David out. But he didn't. God had a plant. He planted somebody that could defeat the whole rebellion. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hushai. So you can read that in those chapters. So it is important that you, we have wise counsel in our life. Do not be the kind of person that thinks, well, I'm going to just call the shots on my own. And that's okay. Live. Live. Nobody wants to tell you how to live on every detail. But there's times in your life you need somebody to give you some input. Praise the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for that. So leadership should be wise in counsel in the area of warfare. Verse uh, 7. <clears throat> We're going to talk about three different kinds of fools now. And these, these are the people you don't want around you. Look at your neighbor and say, I don't want these people around me. The first one is the silent fool. Look at your neighbor and say, the silent fool. The silent fool. I know it's kind of hard to believe that there are actually silent fools, but there are. Now what that means, and I'll read the verse to you, look at it, verse 7. Wisdom is too high for a fool. <laughs> he, opened not, he openeth not his mouth in the gate. Now, this is not the kind of leader you want. You don't want somebody that's a mute. Okay, now why, why, the Bible goes on to explain why the fool is silent. He, because he doesn't have the wisdom. Okay. So you put somebody in leadership that, uh, let's say, it's over their head. Everybody with me? It's over their head. They don't, they don't understand uh, what's going on. They don't have discernment. They don't have the answer. They don't know what they're doing, right? Praise the Lord. So they're over their head. They're, they've been put in the position that they should not have been put in because they don't have the ability to see things for what they are. They don't have the ability to come up with any answers. So they just they stay quiet because really they're beneath, brothers and sisters, the office that they have been put in. So that's the silent fool. So you don't want to get somebody in leadership that you put there that they're, they're in it... Uh, it's over their head. Let me put it that way. It's over their head. They don't have a clue about what's going on. They don't have a clue about discerning things, really seeing things for what they are. So they're just mute. They don't have nothing to say. Okay. No, you want somebody that's going to have wisdom, that can see things for what they are. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. 
not the silent type. I'm talking about the silent fool. <laughs> so verse 7, wisdom is too high for a fool. He opened not his mouth in the gate. Why? Because he can't make right judgments. But see, there's just some people in, in life, they just never make the right judgment on things. And it can be a man or a woman. They just, everybody with me here? Are you with me here? They just, for some reason, I don't know if they don't say enough in the Word of God or they don't listen to the preaching or they don't pray enough or whatever. They just don't ever make the right decisions in life. They lack judgment. Okay? Say so praise the Lord. So that's definitely not the kind of person you want to put in a leadership position, right? Amen. Amen. Now I believe that can be developed, though. That's the good thing. If it's not a fool, because a fool, uh, somebody that's not a fool wants to know. Now, verse 8. <clears throat> Are you with me here? Verse 8 is the, is the fool that talks all the time. He that deviseth to do evil shall be called a mischievous person. Now, basically what that's saying is that somebody is, I mean, they're always up to something. Look at, look at me. They're always up to something, man. And it's not good. They're so unpredictable. Now, it's good to be unpredictable if it's on the side of God. Because I don't want the devil to be able to predict what I, my movements are and what I'm going to do. But there's some people, they're always up to no good. And I'm talking about in the church. That is not somebody you want to put in leadership. It's always up to no good. And uh, these people have a tendency. Is that they blurt out, all the time blurt out stuff. And they're just blurting out a bunch of ignorance. Okay? Like the, the, the preacher of color said, they ignorant. Alright? Now, I know you don't like that, but there's people like that. They're never up to anything good. Hallelujah. So as your pastor, you know, if all I hear about you is your lack of ability to have good judgment and you're always caught up in trouble all the time and you're always doing something ignorant. God help me if I put you in leadership. Because that's not the kind of person you want in leadership. Hallelujah. And everybody that's going to sleep, say Amen. If you're going to sleep, you probably didn't even hear that. So you got the you got the silent fool, then you got the loud mouth. And I mean, they're always up to something, man. You could just write it down, almost on the calendar. I'll be hearing about them before the month's over. It's the way it is. The third one is the scorner. The thought of foolishness is sin, and the scorner is an abomination to men. Okay, so the third person you don't want in leadership is the scorner. That person that's a scorner is a, a person that mocks the things of God. 
They mock faithfulness to the Lord. They mock living for the Lord. They mock holiness. You know, they're not have no desire to obey God's word, and uh, so we definitely don't want to put somebody like that in leadership, because the Bible says even their thoughts are foolish. And their thoughts are foolish. That means their words are going to be foolish and their actions are going to be foolish. Why? Because they're not consistent in their walk with God. They don't understand how important it is to be consistent in their walk with God. A scorner, a scoffer, is not consistent in their walk with God. Amen? Why is that? Because most of the time, instead of looking to the Word of God to be the direction, they always work from earthly wisdom. They function. The Bible talks about natural wisdom. You know how natural wisdom functions? Praise the Lord. I'm going to let you all watch them and then when you all get done, you all look at me. <laughs> I'll watch them too. That's what we'll do tonight. The natural wisdom is sentimental. It's always based on sentiment. Say, look at your name and say, feelings. Nothing more than feelings. It's a natural sweetness. It's sentimental. It's always sentimental. It's, it's touchy-feely. The Bible talks in the book of James about this natural wisdom is demonic. It's earthly. And what does it produce? Sensuality. It comes from the senses. It comes from the mind. It comes from feelings. It's not based on the Word of God. Earthly and demonic and sensual. Amen? But the wisdom of God is from above. And it's, it doesn't have this, this natural sweetness to it. It's one thing they was forbidden uh, to put honey in some of the sacrifices. They were forbidden to put honey in those sacrifices because that honey to God represents natural wisdom or natural sweetness. So you have to be careful that you don't allow yourself to be governed and controlled by sentiment. Natural sweetness. Is what does God say about this? And I promise you, brothers and sisters, He's addressed it in His Bible. So you and I are either relying upon our natural, sentimental approach to life, sweetness, or we're receiving the wisdom which is from above. Now the scoffer, then, is somebody who mocks at the wisdom of God and lives by what's called rational thought. Just what, what seems to be the best approach, you know. What's the best angle uh, for the best benefit and so on and so forth. And so it's going to go contrary to the Word of God. Don't be that kind of person. Hallelujah. That's the scoffer. So three kinds of people that you don't want leadership. You don't want somebody... That, that can't make good decisions, good judgments. They're mutes. Number one. Number two, the other person, they're just always up to no good. And uh, they'll blurt out things and it's just ignorance. And then number three, you've got the scoffer. They're inconsistent in their life. They'll flip from walking in sentiment and the wisdom of God. It's just back and forth. That's not what you want. Amen. The Word of God, brothers and sisters, sometimes is going to go contrary to your thoughts. The way you feel. What are you going to go with? The Word of God 
or are you going to go with feelings? We go with our feelings, they're going to get us in trouble. Every time. All day long. So you don't want those three kinds of people in leadership ever, ever, ever. Okay? Okay, verse 10. If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. This is another person that you don't want in leadership. And that is that when the opposition takes place, they cave. If you faint in the day of adversity, the Bible says your strength is small. Now, brothers and sisters, okay, the name of the game on planet earth, are you with me here, is opposition. That's the name of the game. There's no process. There's no purpose. There's nothing in life that is not going to be opposed. And you have to understand that as a child of God, especially living for the Lord. If you think, man, not sometimes, I want to tell you something. You know, my heart is that everybody would love the Lord. My heart would, would be that everybody want to build the church, the kingdom of God, right? That's what my heart is. Because oh, my heart is and your heart's there. You look at other people and surely they feel the same way. But we forget that on plan, this planet, while we're alive, the name of the game is opposition. And there's always going to be opposition. So, you don't want somebody in leadership that caves when the opposition comes. Now, I've read stories about men on the battlefield, great leaders, great uh, generals on the battlefield, and uh, their associates around them will talk about, hey, look out there, all them enemy ships against us. You know? And then the leader would say to those around him, what ships? It wasn't that he didn't acknowledge that there was an enemy out there full of ships. He was just, what, what was happening was the people around him was being caught up about the enemy, the opposition against him. Like, whew, we can't win because we're outnumbered. They got more ships than we do. Or you study, see, I like to study uh, history, battling uh, history and battling history. And brothers and sisters, there'd be times when they would be outnumbered thousands to one. And if you looked at the numbers that you were fixed to engage, you had a small group and the people you were fighting were literally thousands uh, to one. Man, your heart might get faint. You want a cave. But strong leaders look at the opposition. And like that one leader I read about, he said to his associates, what ships? And he said, when we go into battle, here's what he told his captains. He said, when we go into battle, he said, you can never lose the battle. You can never make a wrong decision if you stay close to the enemy ship. That means you've recognized who the enemy is. And you're going to fight to defeat him. Okay? You can't see, can't see the ship that's given the signals. Can't see it for the battle. Get close to the enemy. And you'll know who to fight. Say praise God. Are you in here? 
So you don't want you don't want leaders that cave in times of opposition. You want somebody that no matter what the opposition is, that they keep on going. You with me here today? Let me put you this right this way. If you're wrong, you're going to be defeated. The opposition is going to bring you down if you're wrong. But brothers and sisters, if you are right, if you're right, never quit. Help me preach. Look at your neighbor and say, if you're right, it's always too soon to quit. You know when we're a failure? When you quit. When you quit, you are a failure. All right? You quit in the battle, you're a failure. If I quit, I'm a failure. And we have to understand, I wish we were in heaven. We didn't have to fight these battles. But we have to understand we're not there yet. And there's going to be opposition constantly against the kingdom of God. And we got to be like Nehemiah. Say, oh no, I'm not coming down. I'm not coming down. This is good work. I'm not coming down. And, and let the battles that you go through strengthen you. Make, make you stronger. Uh, give you wisdom. Teach you. So if you learn from the battle, you don't quit. So I'm going to learn from this battle. I'm going to gain understanding. I'm going to gain wisdom. I'm going to see things. I'm going to learn how to fight better. Hallelujah. Because God, God doesn't want you to waste your trial. Don't let it defeat you. Don't cave. Don't give in to it. Keep fighting. You might not make the right decision every time, but you keep getting back up. And you keep getting back up. And you learn from your mistakes. Hallelujah. Or you say things you wish you wouldn't have said or... Allowed yourself to go in a certain place you know you shouldn't have allowed you to. Brothers, don't beat yourself up about that. Because you haven't failed if you don't quit. <laughs> I'm not perfect. I tell people all the time, I'm subject to making mistakes. I'm not perfect, but I'm still in the fight. Amen. And sometimes the opposition gets intense. But you do not want anybody in leadership that caves when the opposition comes. Look at your neighbor and help me preach. Tell him, it's always too soon to quit if you're doing what's right. Okay. So what's required of us, what's required especially of leadership, say with me, courage. You're going to have to be a person of courage to live for God, to take a stand, because, and we'll get into it just a little bit, it's always easier to surrender. It's, it's always easier to go with the flow. It's always, it's always easier not to take a stand against wrong. It's always easier to go that way. Amen? How many people of courage are in here today? I believe I'm preaching to people of courage. Some, some, hallelujah. 
won't, man, they won't cave. You know, they won't cave. And they've been tested. And they've been proven in this area. It's a lot of battles, man. Those, those generals. See, they could face odds that were against them. Numerical odds that were against them. I've seen, man, in studying some of these wars in history, the, it looked like the outcome was sure that the enemy was going to win because they outnumbered. But there was a man on the other side of the battle. Even though he didn't have the numbers, he had the expertise in war. And that made the difference because that man knew what to do. Hallelujah. And he didn't quit. He kept fighting. He came up with another strategy. Praise the Lord. Y'all with me here today? When Julius Caesar was going to go, and he began to conquer the Gaul territory. I mean, hundreds of thousands of miles. He began to conquer the Gaul territory. He lacked one little area of the Gaul territory to conquer. He had Gauls in the city of that territory, and he had a large number of Gauls who finally united, finally, together to try to defeat the Romans who were taking over their land. And so what Caesar did, he, he was outnumbered. There were people in the city, and there were people coming from all these other parts of Gaul country, which is France, modern-day France. And so what he did, he built a wall surrounding the city. You with me here? For protection, he was on this side of the wall to protect his army from the troops in the city. Then when he found out there was a huge, massive army, massive armies of the Gauls coming to attack him, he built another wall all the way around to protect him from the invading army that was outside. So he had a wall on the inside to protect him from the inside Gauls, and he had a wall on the outside to protect him from this huge army of Gauls that were coming from the outside. And guess who won? Julius Caesar. Against insurmountable odds, he won. Amen? And then after he did that, man, he went back to Rome and he became the consul of Rome and then later on he moved from that uh, to become a dic the, the dictator of Rome. Julius Caesar, I don't know if you know this, but Julius Caesar was a brilliant military soldier and leader. Okay? And it didn't matter the odds. It didn't matter how many was fighting, how many was fighting him. Because he knew strategy and he had experience. He was a trained soldier from young age. He knew what to do in the battle. He wouldn't quit. Hallelujah. And, and the advantage he had, the advantage he had is that his soldiers, brothers and sisters, were with him through all of that territory. Now what you have to understand, and I'm not going to stay too long on this because I'll, I'll be here all night. But what you have to understand, he didn't even have the approval of the Roman Senate to take over the Gaul territory. But he went to battle and he took over that whole region of the Gauls, France, because he had ambition. Amen, you with me? And when he won those battles, he went back to Rome, became the leader. So I'm just giving an example. Somebody that knows how to fight. They're not going to cave. When the opposition comes, they might be outnumbered. The opposition may be bigger. 
but they're not ever going to quit. They're going to keep on fighting. Hallelujah. Now, if pagan generals like Julius Caesar and others can do those kinds of things just simply out of ambition and military strategy and strength of courage, what can we as the people of God do if we'll keep fighting the good fight of faith? It gets courage on the inside of us and said, nothing's bringing me down. I'm not going to stop. Greater is he that's in me than he that is in this world. So the Bible is teaching us the importance of courage. They that faint in the day of adversity, their strength is small. Hallelujah. I'm going to tell you something right now, brothers and sisters. I'm going to save you a lot of time, a lot of trouble. If you're looking for a life as a Christian that's not going to have any kind of opposition, battles, or fight, you might as well quit now. Because I've seen the longer you live for the Lord and the more you do for God, especially when you're expanding His kingdom to different parts of the world, you get ready because it's going to be a lot harder, not easier. So I'm just telling you, brothers and sisters in the Lord tonight, my brothers and sisters in the Lord, you're my brother and sister in the Lord. And I'm telling you, man, you're going to have to have some courage. Say, nobody's bringing me down. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, give God praise. Give God glory. Give honor to Jesus. And ultimately, Jesus Christ is the greatest one of all. His opposition was so great against him, they crucified him on the cross. They tried to get him to come down. said, I'm not coming down. If I come down, man won't be saved. Say praise the Lord. So I appreciate some of you brothers and sisters. I, I know I can go to war with you, and I know you're going to be there with me. You're going to be there with me. You should be. If you go to war, I should be there with you. Hallelujah! <clears throat> Verse, so I don't want to be like that. If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. Verse 11. If thou forbear to deliver them that are drawn unto death and those that are ready to be slain, if thou sayest, Behold, we knew it not, doth not he that pondereth the heart consider it? And he that keepeth thy soul, doth not he know it? He shall not render to every man according to his works. The next thing is this. If you're going to be a leader, you have to have moral character. You have to have moral character. You're, there are times when you're going to have to be involved with people and helping people, being involved with them, and you're going to have to be a person of character. Say praise God. Say moral character. Amen. Hallelujah. Can't be coming up with excuses. Amen. Verse 12, if thou sayest, behold, we knew it not. Didn't know. Didn't know. Really? Why didn't you know? Why didn't you know? Doth not he that pondereth the heart consider it, and he that keepeth thy soul, doth not he know it, and shall not he render to every man according to his works? What he's saying is you got people that all they do in life is make excuses. Just make excuses. Say, well, I didn't know. No. You've got to be a person of moral character, especially in leadership. You can't be going through life making a bunch of excuses. Look at your neighbor and say, you've got to get involved. If you're going to be a leader, you have to be involved. 
You have to be engaged. You can't sit around and talk about with all the excuses why you're not doing it. Hallelujah. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Say, I'm going to get involved. It's not just for me. Amen. It's for the kingdom of God. So I don't, if you as a church, you don't just live for Bible Center Fellowship. You live for Zambia. You, you, you live for Taiwan. You live for some other places that we haven't even gone to yet. Hallelujah. This church is a church that's supposed to be used to help people all over the world. And we're not going to make excuses. We're going to get involved. We're going to spread the gospel. We're going to see precious souls saved. And as a result of that, the enemy is going to come. He's going to attack. You can't cave when he comes. You've got to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. I don't want to be the kind of person that talks a good game. I don't want to be the kind of person that talks a good talk. And when it gets tough and it gets hard, I'm not involved anymore. No, the Bible says God knows. He knows when we're making excuses or not. He knows and I'm preaching down to you. He knows when I'm making excuses. Amen. Moral character. Courage and moral character. Verse 13. My son, eat thou honey because it's good. And the honeycomb, which is sweet to thy taste, so shall the knowledge of wisdom be unto thy soul. And when thou hast found it, then shall there be a reward, and thy expectation shall not be cut off. What kind of leader do you want? Well, you don't want somebody that don't have courage. You don't want somebody that doesn't have moral character. Somebody's not going to get involved when the fight <laughs> takes place. I mean, you know, it's the way it is. But you want somebody... That like, you know, you gather honey. And I talked about natural sweetness versus the, the wisdom of God. When you gather honey, it's a slow process. It takes time. Okay? So when it comes to knowledge and wisdom and, and gaining that, it's going to take time. It doesn't happen overnight. It's work. It's not only work to preach the Word of God, but it's, it's, work, it's work for you to hear it. I'm going to say it again. It's work for you to hear it. Because you got to stay awake. And I always say, if you can't sleep at night, don't go get any kind of, you know, sleeping pills. Get one of my cassette tapes and you'll go right to sleep. It's proven. It's tested. It's proven. Hallelujah. I ought to get the CDs and I say, $5 for a sleeping pill here. You know what I'm saying? It's proven. But it's work, brother. You're tired. You've been working all day long. Amen. Home or outside of the home, whatever. Woman, man, homemaker or outside, whatever. You've been working all day long. You come to church, you're tired. Amen. You know how easy it would be? We just said, well, we're only going to have one service a week on Sunday morning. That's it. We're not going to come on Wednesday night. We're not going to come on Sunday. Oh, it would be so easy, wouldn't it? Yeah, he'd probably all, man, I need God. If I had one service a week, maybe I, maybe this is a declaration of how weak I am. But if I had one service a week, I'd be weak. You with me here? Hallelujah. I need the house of God. I need the word of God. And, 
And I'm not out of touch with you, brothers and sisters. The, the long, hard days and hard weeks that you work, and you're tired when you get off work, you come on a whizzy night. I'm not out of touch with that. I know where you are. But it's a slow gathering process, like gathering honey over a long period of time. Hallelujah. And eventually, brothers and sisters, it's going to be sweet. But it won't be natural sweetness like sentimental sweetness, which is natural wisdom, which James talks about, which is demonic and are devilish and sensual. And the wisdom of the earth, that's a wisdom that functions on the flesh. But it's going to be the wisdom that comes down from God. The wisdom of God. Hallelujah. Somebody said, praise the Lord. And you gather it. It takes a while, man. You gather it slowly, a little bit at a time. But it'll be sweet. Hallelujah. Sweet. <clears throat> when they wanted to teach the little children the Word of God, you teach them the alphabet, the Hebrew alphabet, teach them the Word of God. You know what they did? They got a slate. You know what a slate is, right? Slate. And they poured on those letters, they poured honey. Then they gave them some kind of pen. And they would go and they would trace those letters out with that pen. The Word of God. And then they'd take that honey and they would put it on their tongue. And they were teaching them how sweet the Word of God is. That's they, The Hebrews literally did that. Said the Word of God is like honey. Hallelujah. Get it on the inside of you. Get it deep inside of you. Praise the Lord. Let it, let it assimilate into every part of your being. Hallelujah. Get it in your heart. I promise you, if you get it in here, it'll come out of here. And man, it'll be sweet to the taste. Amen. Sweet to the taste. Sometimes bitter to the inner man. The inner man don't like it all the time, but it's sweet to the taste. It's the Word of God. Say praise the Lord. So maybe some of y'all want to try that sometime. Get you some slates and teach your children the Word of God. Tell them it's sweet. Hallelujah. See, that'll help me later on when I'm preaching the Word of God. They'll say, that's sweet. That's a sweet word. Hallelujah. But it's not natural sweetness. It's the Word of God. That's what they're teaching them. Amen. So we can be led by the, the devilish, demonic, sensual wisdom that comes out of the senses. Or we can be led by the Word of God. And it's sweet, brothers and sisters. Hallelujah. That's the kind of leader you want. Somebody that's gathered the Word of God, the sweetness of the Word of God over the years. I love the Word. Don't you? I love the Word of God. <clears throat> Verse 15, Lay not wait, O wicked man, against the dwelling of the righteous, spoil not his resting place. For a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again, but the wicked shall fall unto mischief. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now I'm going to do this. I didn't bring it with me. Brother Timothy, there is a, you know, silver key that opens that front, that, that drawer. Can you get my notebook out of there? I'm going to, I'm going to show you uh, an application. I wasn't going to do this, but I'm going to do it for your sake, okay? Um, they not wait, O wicked man, against the dwelling of the righteous, spoil not his resting place. For they just man shall fall seven times, riseth up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. You with me here? What is God saying? He said, anybody's planning or plotting against you, 
If you're walking with the Lord the way you're supposed to be walking with the Lord, they may plan, they may plot, but God is going to take care of you. God's going to protect you. I, I, brother says, you don't know and I don't know how many times God has intervened on our behalf and, and protected us from things we didn't even know. <coughs> you with me? We didn't even know that somebody was planning this or plotting this or had a strategy to do this to bring us down or the wicked one was going to come against you to try to destroy your family. We didn't even know it. But God's given that person a warning. You don't do that. Why? Because God says, I'm, I've, got, I've got their number. How many times has God protected you and you didn't even know it God delivered you and you didn't even know it God washed over your kids and you didn't even know they were in danger you just had a feeling in your spirit you needed to pray and you started praying and you found out that through your prayer God moved sent an angel to protect somebody in your family and when we get to heaven you're going to find out just how many times God intervened on your behalf and here you are saying where are you God why aren't you helping me God said well how many angels do I need to send for you because I send like a hundred a day <laughs> you know what I'm saying you say well Lord, I didn't realize you were helping me that much that's what he's saying right here he's protecting you And sometimes we walk into situations. You know, the enemy try to tear you down, destroy you, walk in those situations, but God has already got your back. Hallelujah. Now, I want to give you an example here of this next verse. For a just man falleth seven times and rises up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. Now, I want to say this. Sunday morning when I was preaching to you, I, I was sharing this with the church. If you sin against God, you fall short, you have failures, faults in your life. That doesn't mean that you don't love God. Understand? What you, what you do with that is what is important. If you let that failure or that fault cause you to go against the Word of God, That's not the right approach. Or you hear the Word of God and you put up walls and that's wrong. You resist the Word of God. You start rebelling against the Word of God. That's the direction you don't want to go. So what I shared with you the other day is that you can have battles in your life where you're conquering and overcoming the enemy, your flesh, the world, and the devil. You may not be perfect in every area, but you're fighting the good fight of faith and you're overcoming your flesh and you're overcoming the devil. You're overcoming the world. Amen? Amen. And you love God. Amen. If you come short of the glory of God, if we sin, amen, and we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We won't quit. Right. Amen. The Bible says a righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up. See, that's the key. Is that you never get down. You never stay down. Books your neighbor say, never stay down. Never stay down. Hallelujah. 
A righteous man falls seven times, gets back up. So I'm gonna, I'm, I wasn't planning on doing this, but I'm going to do this. I'm going to... There was a man in the Bible. You ever heard of David? You know how many times he failed? But you know what, David? Loved God. He loved God. He failed. He comes short of the glory of God. He got back up. 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 He lied. 1 Samuel 21, 1 through 10. He fled to Gath. He pretended insanity. 1 Samuel 21, 11 through 15. He was going to kill Nabal, but Abigail intervened. 1 Samuel 25, 10 through 25. He lost faith, 1 Samuel 27, temporarily. The fall of Bathsheba, 2 Samuel 11, 1 through 4. Uriah had Uriah murdered, 2 Samuel 11, 5 through 27. And his pride brought him to number the people of God. It wasn't just the numbering of the people of God, but he didn't have the atonement money, which was connected to numbering the people of God. But we're not getting into that. But I, his pride caused him to number the people of God. Brothers and sisters, I just gave you seven times that David fell. And some of those were major things. In fact, just about all of them. But you know what he did? He got back up. Why did he get back? Why, why is David called a man after God's own heart? Because he loved God. And, and he knew. Brother, I love what Brother Timothy said the other day, uh, Sunday night. He said, Brother sisters, I know my weaknesses. I know my weaknesses. I know mine. You know yours. But the answer is when you fall, you don't stay down. You get back up. You keep on getting up. Hallelujah! You keep praising God. And you dance before the Lord like David danced before the Lord. You worship Him. You praise Him. You glorify Him. And refuse to become a Pharisee. Which to pray and act like you're, you know, that you're okay when you know you're not. And get all religious on me. A religious on God. Fool you with that. It's about getting right with God. It's about saying, Lord, I failed again. 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 But I'm not going to stay down. I'm going to keep on getting up and getting up and getting up. If David can do it, I can do it in Jesus' name. And I don't know anybody in this church that's perfect. I don't know anybody here that you don't have some kind of mark on your your life. But what makes the difference is, is you refuse to be religious and act in the part. You were real with God, got real with God, and that was David. And he read Psalm 51 the other night, how David repented. Man, David, David failed miserably. But I want to tell you something, when he failed miserably, he knew how to get a hold of God in confession. And that's what David did. He didn't walk around. He tried to cover it for a while. Tried to cover it up for a while. And he found out that don't work. It don't work. The cover up don't work. Try to act like you're something you're not. Don't work. 
Because there'll be a man of God that comes and checks you out. It may be a year or so afterwards, but they're going to come say, you know what? You haven't confessed it to God. You've been acting the role, acting the part. And when David heard that, he knew he was uncovered. He confessed it to God Almighty. And God, God forgave him of that sin. Hallelujah. In the mighty name of Jesus. I personally don't want to, I honestly personally don't want to be in your life to have to come to you and say, hey, what's going on? I don't want that. Why don't you just get right with God? Why don't you just confess it to the Lord? And I don't even need to know about it. Hallelujah. But after a while, God will send, send you a vision, leader of vision, say, hey, no, you got to deal with that. I don't want to have to deal with you like that. Why don't you just say, okay, God, I'm going to deal with it myself. I'm going to confess my sin before God Almighty. Hallelujah. Don't make an excuse for failure. Recognize, yes, I come short of the glory of God, but I'm getting back up. How many of y'all keep getting back up? And how many of y'all are just going to keep on sitting there? Man, if this is the only ones that are going to keep getting back up, I'm in trouble, man. <laughs> My congregation is going to get smaller and smaller and smaller. Oh, man, we got to keep getting back up. Say praise the Lord. <laughs> Agree with your adversary speedily. Agree. Agree with... If you put yourself on the wrong side of God. Agree with God. Say, I know I'm not right with you, Lord. And I'm sure not going to act like I am, walk around acting like I am. Amen? I'm going to confess it before my God. And that's what David did. When he felt he confessed it before his God. And that's why, brother and sister, he kept getting back up. He was a man after God's own heart. That's what made the difference. He loved God and God loved him. Man, sometimes I wonder who I'm preaching to. Some of you don't even act like you even know what I'm talking about. Is there anybody here that hasn't come up short at some point in your life? Is there anybody here that hasn't? Sister Christine is the only one that hasn't. That's why I was saying, man, your eyes are communicating strange stuff to me. Say praise the Lord. You ought to be thankful that God says, you know, you say, well, you, you messed up one time. He could. And I'm not condoning sin. Sin will destroy you. It will bring consequences to your life that are devastating and destructive. You don't want it. I am not doing that, but I'm telling you, if you'll get a heart for God, and every time you go down, you keep getting back up, and you confess it before the Lord. And you worship and you praise Him. He'll forgive you. He'll give you the strength you need to run again, to shout again, to praise again, to pray again like you should. The only thing, brothers and sisters, that will keep you down is a religious approach. That's the only thing that will keep you down. You start acting like, well, I'm okay. Ain't nobody can do anything with you then. Your pastor can't do anything with you. Nobody can do anything with you because you've allowed pride to get a hold of you. Nobody can tell you anything. 
is when you say, you know what, God? I need you. I need you. I need you. I need you. I need you more today. I need you more today than I ever have. Never think that you've arrived. One of David's failures with Bathsheba, it took place, brothers and sisters, when he was in his 50s. This was a young man's sin. So don't ever get a self-righteous attitude about you. Don't ever get, well, I'm strong. I can handle this. No, don't ever go there. Stay humble before your Lord. Amen? God will give you the strength to get back up again. That's right. Supernatural strength will come to you. Okay. <clears throat> Thanks, brother. <coughs> you did that fast, man. It's fast. I mean, I love the Word of God today. <laughs> you don't. You don't care. You don't care. We. Well, yeah. You know. But I do, man. <laughs> I need some help. I need somebody to come along and tell me, man, you know, it's not over yet. Keep fighting. Keep getting up. Amen. Then he goes on and he says this. That he says that, that uh, the wicked shall fall into mischief. That means the word mischief in this case means calamity. The wicked fall into all kinds of calamity. So you've got to make up your mind. When you fall, you're going to seek God and confess it and get right with the Lord and keep going. If you fail again, keep going. Keep going. Who knows? I'm keep, look at them and tell them, I'm, I'm going to keep going. Or you can be, you can continue to be wicked like Saul. You know, Saul, on the other hand, is a contrast to David. Saul sinned against the Lord, failed against God. But he never really genuinely repented. You know that? He never did. I never read about how Saul repented. He never did. He never thought he needed repentance. And as a result of that, what happened to him? Calamity came on him. He died in the battlefield. Right? Committed suicide in the battlefield. And an Amalekite, an Amalekite claimed that he killed Saul. Amalekite did. That brings me to the next verse. Verse 17, Rejoice not when thine enemy falleth, and let not thine heart be glad when he stumbleth. Well, see how David approached the defeat of Saul. The wicked man fell into calamity. Go to, go to uh, 2 Samuel 1. <coughs> Verse 14, so all I'm going to read to you is this verse, you know. This Amalekite claimed to be the one who killed Saul. You know what he's trying to do? He's trying to cash in. Yeah, he's trying to cash in. He thought, well, surely David would be excited that I killed Saul. You know, because Saul tried to murder David multiple times, right? Where was David's heart? Do you know David? David's heart was never in rebellion against Saul. Do you know that David never let his heart go that way? He never did. Even though that man tried to destroy him. He tried to pin him against the wall with javelins, man. 
Chased him like a partridge in the wilderness, you know. Just from one cave to another. Trying to kill the man. For a long period of time. And Saul commits suicide in the battlefield. And the Amalekite comes into the courtroom and he says, Hey, I saw Saul. He was in this condition leaning over his sword, but he wasn't dead yet. And he said, Come and finish the job. And the Amalekite said, I finished him off for you, David. Paraphrased. He wanted to cash in. He thought David would be excited about the fact that Saul was slain. <laughs> you know what David said? 2 Samuel 1.14, David said unto him, How wast thou not afraid to stretch forth thine hand to destroy the Lord's anointing? And David called one of the young men and said, Go near and fall upon him. And he smote him that he died. David said unto him, Thy blood be upon thy head, for thy mouth hath testified against thee, saying, I have slain the Lord's anointed. And then begin verse 17. is one of the most beautiful eulogies in the Word of God ever written. When David eulogized Saul and his good friend Jonathan who died in the battlefield. David, that, that old Malachite thought, man, I'm going to cash in. David said, who are you to stretch forth your hand to fall upon the Lord's anointing? He had that man put to death. See, that shows you in the heart of David there was no rebellion towards Saul. There was no ill, Ill favor towards Saul. Amen. He wasn't happy that Saul had died in the battlefield. He talked about how great Saul was. He talked about how beautiful Jonathan was in his eulogy. Dare you stretch forth your hand, fall upon the Lord's anointing. It's the kind of heart you got to have. The Bible says, so we have to be careful. We can rejoice in the justice of God. We can recognize when God's judgment or justice takes place. But we don't rejoice. In the fall. Are y'all with me? Say praise the Lord. We shouldn't rejoice in that. It's sad that it ever got to that point. It wasn't David's desire. It wasn't David's desire. Amen. Praise the Lord. He called in the Lord's anointing. Saul backslid. Saul was, not only was he backslid, but he was demon possessed. But in David's eyes, that's God's anointing. I won't touch the Lord's anointing. David already learned that on a personal way. He said, I won't touch the Lord's anointing. Then you got this big mouth coming in here, this, this fool that's blurting out this stuff, this Amalekite. Said, Who do you think you are touching the Lord's anointing? Falling upon the Lord's anointing. Kill me, man. We're on a spot. Saul wasn't what he was supposed to be for sure. But that office, he wouldn't touch it. And anybody that did, David intervened. And so we see that in verse 7. Rejoice not when thine enemy falleth, and let not thine heart be glad when he stumbleth. Amen? Lest the Lord see it, and it displease him, and he turn away his wrath from him. Just leave it in the hands of God. Let God, let God judge it. Let God's wrath fall on him. Hallelujah. <clears throat> but see, here's the thing. <clears throat> you think about David. David was in a place he couldn't celebrate. He knew that man tried to kill him. He knew that man tried to destroy him. But he refused to allow himself to get in a place where he would celebrate that, that defeat. That's a man of God, brother. 
That shows you it was on the heart of David. Now, can I tell you something? Well, I could preach a long time tonight to you, but I'm going to tell you this. Saul became Saul. Kill and try to kill David. There was a time in David's life where David could have taken the same approach that Saul did. When Absalom tried to rebel against him, David could have, could have phoned javelins at Absalom, but he didn't. You know why he got out of town? He got out of town because he didn't want to become a Saul. He learned to put things in the hands of God, not to take things into his own hand. Because he knew if he did, he'd become a Saul. You with me? So he left town instead of rather than dealing with it. He didn't become a Saul. Amen? There's a book written. You might want to read it sometime. It's a, it's a beautiful book. I believe it's by Gibbons. The Tale of Three Kings. It's amazing. It's, it's a study in brokenness. It's a study in brokenness. Especially in the area of leadership. When leadership mistreats you, how do you handle it? If you don't handle it correctly, you'll become like the leader that hurts you. And all you'll do is go forward in life hurting. So you have to be willing to go through the process of brokenness. And when it, when it comes time for you to be like a Saul, you say, I won't be like Saul. I won't throw javelins. That's hard to do. And then when you see God judge your enemies, you can't celebrate. You can celebrate the justice of God and the righteousness of God, but you can't celebrate the judgment that fell on the individual. Because if you do, you have the heart of a Saul and not the heart of David. Okay? And I read that book many, many, many years ago at a very important time in my life. Okay? And sometimes people in positions of authority will mistreat you. They will. Not just in church. Maybe the workplace. Whatever it is. Maybe at school. Some of you kiddos just started going to school, public school. And, and you're facing that right now. How do you handle that? Do you pick up javelins and throw them back? Or do you just give it in the hands of God? I'm not saying you're going to run around with them. <laughs> you don't want to run around with them. Saul, David ran. He didn't hang around Saul. You don't hang around them. You just refuse to retaliate. Because if you do, then you got the heart of Saul, not the heart of David. I want the heart of David. Say, praise the Lord! And if you have the heart of David, guess what? God will be with you. Say praise the Lord. God will be with you. I have a good friend. Told me not long ago. I said, I told him, I said, brother, I said, I can't, I'm not going to uh, get into a battle with a man of God. I'm not going to do it. I told him, I'm not going to do it. There's no way I'm going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And I'm not going to get any further details with you. Okay? So I'm not going to get in a fight with a man of God. And Brother Edmonds looked at me, and here's what he said. He said, Brother Carter, he said, if you did, God would not be with you. 
he would not be with you. Okay? So you might feel like you're justified in getting in a fight with a man of God. But I'm just, as your pastor, I'm just telling you what I do. Say, I'm staying away from that. I will not get in a fight with a man of God. No way. Why? Because I want God to be with me. And you want God to be with you. So you've got to make decisions in life, man. You know? And sometimes you want to retaliate or you think you're justified in retaliating. Well, in David's case, he wasn't justified. You don't go there, man. Okay? So if you want to know your pastor's heart, that's where my heart is. I won't do it, man. <coughs> I won't fight another man of God. Put him in the hands of the Lord. Okay? It's what you do. Now, and I'm not asking you to, if you're at war with me today, if you're at war with me today, I'm not saying put me in there. So I'm over just putting pastor in the hands of God. Well, you're, I might be right with God. Somebody said, praise the Lord. But brother says, you don't want the heart of a soul. See, God's wisdom, His Word is so amazing. He tell you not to let vengeance get up on the inside of you, man. Anger and bitterness and retaliation. Don't let it get in you. It'll mess you up. Come on. And I'm human. I breathe like a human breathes. I breathe air in and out. I drink water. I eat food. I feel pain. Okay? I sometimes wonder what in the world's going on. Amen. And God forgive me if I've ever hurt anybody. Okay? In an unjust way. But I'm just telling you, man, you've got to make up your mind. There's some principles you... I'm not crossing that line. No way. <coughs> you with me here? And people running their mouth all day long against anointed servants of God. Now, if you're in a position of authority and you have to do that, then that's different. If you're in a position of authority. But I don't think somebody underneath in rank has the right to lift their hand against somebody that's, over, that's higher in rank. Okay? You with me here? Sometimes people of rank have to deal with those uh, uh, that are of less rank. But I don't think anybody underneath got the right to come up and touch them. That's just me. Now, you might think I'm wrong, but that's the way I approach it. And if I approach it, I think my heart's going to be okay. And I think God will stay with me. Hallelujah. <clears throat> Say praise the Lord. Now, I'm not trying to make myself out to look like, you know, some super being or not. I'm not. I'm human just like you. I'm not. I'm just telling you where I am as a human being. The principles, okay? And so... People, uh, people get mad sometimes at leadership and they want to fight back and they want to throw grenades at them and everything else. Well, don't they know how ignorant that is? That that leadership knows everything about them? And if that leadership wanted to retaliate, they could? Better thank God the leadership that's there has got the heart of David. Are you awake? Somebody said, praise the Lord. Hallelujah, man. Why? Because you want God 
to walk with you. And you want, yeah, you want justice. But you, you got to rejoice over the failure of somebody. God said, hey, you're over here. You, you know, well, okay, here's, your, here's what you want. You got your celebration. I stopped my judgment. You got your vindication. You got your, you got, you got, uh, you got the retaliation you were looking for. So, okay, I'll take my hands off of it now. No, leave it in God's hands. He knows what He's doing better than I do. Hallelujah. Let your neighbor say, God knows how to do it better than I do. He knows how to do it better than the justice system. Sometimes the justice system, we have justice that don't work out right. But I want to tell you something, there's a God in heaven. I said, there's a God in heaven. And if you put it in His hands, God will take care of business. He will take care of business. It may take longer, but it will happen. We just got to keep our spirit. Keep our spirit right. Keep a David spirit. You know? Hallelujah. I appreciate Brother Timothy's spirit. And I appreciate Brother Jonathan Lemon's spirit. And I appreciate your spirit. Hallelujah. You, you don't realize how blessed you are to have these men. I think you do. I think you do, right? You know how, how many of y'all know how blessed you are to have it? You know, it's because their hearts, their hearts, they're so loyal, so dedicated to God. It's beautiful, man. You're, you're very blessed, brothers and sisters. You, you got, you got, hallelujah. I don't, I don't want to go too far here. I, I don't want them to get such a big head they can't get in the church, you know. But anyway. They won't though because I know their spirit. Now, you know, so sometimes a, <clears throat> a pastor has to deal with people and correct them and they, those kinds of things. And I'm not afraid to correct anybody uh, that, that I have responsible, that I'm responsible to correct. I'm not afraid to correct anybody. Okay, amen? So we have to do that. But we're not trying to kill you. Somebody said, praise the Lord. Hey, we're trying to kill you, man. We got the spirit of Saul. Come on, man. We know that. We've been trained. So may the Lord help us all, right? What time is it? Nine. I told you, it's work. It's work, man, to hear the Word of God preached. It's work. How I many of y'all like just come once a week on Sunday morning? Y'all want to do that? Y'all all right with that? Hallelujah. That'd be less work for me. Thank you. No. <laughs> I need the Word of God. <clears throat> you need the Word of God. It's work to hear the Word of God. I know you're tired. You don't have to tell me, man. <laughs> Verse 19. <clears throat> Real quick now. Fret not thyself because of evil men. Neither, neither be thou envious at the wicked. It's useless anyway. You know what? If you're sitting around fretting and worrying all day long about evil people, God help me. Put that spirit, put that word right, right in my brain. Let me hear the word of God as well. All day long, talking and thinking about this and that and this wrong and that wrong and evil people and all. You know what I'm saying? Brothers and sisters, it doesn't do us any good to sit around and worry about them anyway. Right? 
How many of y'all believe the Word of God? What do we do then? Well, we trust God. Just trust God. Verse 20. <coughs> there shall be no reward to the evil. The candle of the Lord, uh, the candle of the wicked, excuse me, shall be what? Put out. So we're going to trust God because God can defend you. You have to worry about all day long, worrying about defending yourself. You know, how are you going to defend yourself? And most people don't, you know, they're not going to hear you anyway. They're only going to want to hear what they want. They've already made up their mind anyway. You can get up and you can talk and plead your case, whatever. People have already made up their mind. You know what I'm saying? So you're wasting your time. You are. You're wasting your time. So what do you do? So you defend yourself. Let God defend you. And He knows how to do it. <clears throat> but that's the hard approach. That takes faith. Now I know y'all live in, some of y'all live in your little, little glass houses. And nobody can, has ever touched you, ever done anything, ever said, you know, nobody's ever thrown a rock at your glass house. You're just in your little cocoon. And you're so sheltered and protected in life that you probably don't even know what I'm talking about, do you? Okay. Well, maybe you do. <laughs> Hallelujah. If you've if never been through anything like this, you will at some point. And it doesn't do any good sitting around and worry about it. Just trust the Lord. And God knows how to put the candle out. God knows how to defend you. Verse 20. For there shall be no reward of the evil man. The candle of the wicked shall be put out. Amen. I mean, God's going to stop them. He'll stop them. You say, Lord, when are you going to stop them? They just keep on going and going and going and going. When are you going to stop them? He'll stop them. But He don't tell you when. Because <clears throat> He might be using them to do something in you. So you're praying, God, Lord, right now, in the name, God, by a sunrise tomorrow, let me hear the news, God, by tomorrow. Hallelujah. Lord Jesus. If I be a man of God, Lord, let the earth open up and swallow every one of them. In the name of Jesus. <laughs> you get up and the earth hasn't opened up. <laughs> you keep preaching. <laughs> and you hear God say, and you're not Moses. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. So I'm just being human today. But, you know, that's the way it is sometimes, right? Hallelujah. And <laughs> in the name of Jesus, in, in, the, in Jesus' name, in the name of Jesus. You know how Brother Dixon, when he prays, you know what he does? He doesn't say in Jesus' name. He says, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Now, almost, man, that was so powerful. He taught me how to pray. When I listened to him pray, he taught me how to pray. He don't say in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, he says, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. 
Lord Jesus, he said, when he was praying, he said, Lord, let all the backsliders come back in the name of Jesus. I'm going, brother, you're asking a hard thing. <laughs> I didn't say that, but I thought that. I said, all right, go ahead and pray, but you're asking a hard thing, dude. In, in the name, in, in the name of Jesus, he said, in the name of Jesus. I love it. Amen. But you ever pray like that, right? God, just open the earth up. <laughs> Say praise the Lord. <laughs> y'all don't pray like that, do you? You don't. You don't pray imprecatory, imprecatory prayers, do you? You don't pray imprecatory prayers, do you? You know what an imprecatory prayer is? You're praying for the judgment of God to fall on your enemies. So David prayed those kind of prayers, you know. Imprecatory prayers. God, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. God. You see our hymn 3 o'clock in the morning. In the name of Jesus. I, I woke up. I beat them before they ever got up. In the name of Jesus. <laughs> I'm sending prayer bombs, Lord. In the name of Jesus. <laughs> In the name of Jesus, man. Hallelujah. Prayer balls, dude. I'm glad he's so much wiser than I am. Everybody said, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. <laughs> Beat them up. Get them up. Get up before they got up. Don't even know what's going to hit them. <laughs> hey, we get literally like the sons of thunder, you know. You know, the Samaritans wouldn't hear, wouldn't, didn't want Jesus to come in their city. Lord, call down fire from heaven <laughs> like Elijah did. And then in the name of Jesus, in the, in the name of Jesus. <laughs> he said, you don't know what spirit you're of, man. I didn't come to destroy me his life. I came to save me his life. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Everybody said, in the name of Jesus. I'm learning how to pray. A new way to pray. In the name of Jesus. Aren't you glad that God don't answer every prayer you pray? I mean, He does answer, but sometimes it's no. Sometimes it's no. Right? Hallelujah. <laughs> Aren't you glad you're not God? I mean, like I say, but you don't. Maybe you can't relate to what I'm saying because y'all live in little cocoons and you know, little y'all are sheltered. You know, I don't know, but y'all y'all can't relate to my craziness. But in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, God, open up the earth. If I be a man of God, Lord, open up. The earth. So we're going to just trust the Lord, right? Are we going to do that? That's the way you say, in the name of Jesus. When you say, trust, I'm going to trust the Lord in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. My enemy went to jail. Lord, in the name of Jesus. God, just let the jail fall down on top of them. In the name, in the name of Jesus. Lord God. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.
Lord Jesus, you know they're supposed to get out in a year or two. In the name of Jesus, kill them in the prison house. Kill them. In the name of Jesus. <laughs> oh yeah, I know y'all don't y'all don't have no enemies. <laughs> Praise the Lord, Hallelujah. I don't, I don't, I'm not worried. I don't think I have an informant anymore. Say praise the Lord in the name of Jesus, God. <laughs> so if I do, send out all the news bulletins. <laughs> Hallelujah. <sighs> I'm not kidding you, brother, brother Dixon. Pray, Lord, let all the backsliders come home in the name of Jesus. I'm going, I almost interjected, brother, brother, <laughs> brother. <laughs> uh, let me qualify your prayer there, dude. <laughs> right? Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. But I let him keep praying in the name of Jesus. My son, fear thou the Lord and the King, and meddle not with them that are given to change. Fear. Say what? Fear the Lord, number one. Right? And who? The King. So you fear God. You don't fear a man. You fear God, but you respect the authority. Fear God. Respect the authority. Amen? Last part of that, meddle not with them that are given to change. Okay, so there are some people that you need to avoid, and these are people who are flippant. They are, they are compromisers. Okay? They're not consistent. So be careful around chameleons that change with their environment. Whatever, listen, are y'all hearing me? I'm almost done. Can y'all see I'm... Sister, you all right back there? Brothers and sisters, there's some people, if their environment changes, they're like a chameleon. Okay? They just, they're like that. Whatever that environment is, that's what they are. That's how they, that's where they are. That's how they are. Okay, amen? They're just, they're compromised. They're subject to change. They come to church one way, they go out there, they're different places, and they're totally different. They're just so you want to stay away from people like that and not consistent. All right? They compromise with the Word of God. My wife, amen. Sister Christina and, uh, you know, Sister Lori, uh, goes to this same workout facility that we go to and they always wear their skirts. They wear their leggings underneath and they always wear their skirts to the knee. Okay? And and they just work out hard and physical. Man, we do powerlifting stuff. We're not, you know. So they do really work hard. And uh, Sister Christina, man, she she doesn't do treadmill anymore. She's over there doing powerlifting exercises. So, but yeah, no, that's not true. <laughs> but anyway, they're consistent. The consistency's there. See, they're not. They don't come to church wearing their skirt. Then they go to the gym. And where's something else? Okay. Praise the Lord. You know? Now, it doesn't just apply to women. But when a man goes to, you know, you, 
you start getting in shape. I'm not tempted. I don't you think I'm tempted. But you start getting in shape, you might be tempted to wear these spaghetti strap workout that goes, you know, right down here below the nipples. You know what I mean? <laughs> now, I, just so you know, I'm not tempted, man. I mean, you know, and okay, praise the Lord. And I'm I'm not tempted to wear booty shorts and okay, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm just I'm I'm not. You know what I'm saying? I'm sorry. I'm, I forgot. Forgive me for giving you these horrible thoughts. <laughs> Amen. But you, but you, you know, it's not just about the women. I mean, men can go and they, they come to church, you know, and they, you have a certain holiness standard. And then you go to the gym, work out, and you got your spaghetti strap tank top on, and, you know, and you're short. Oh, come on, man. I mean, what if you saw me in the gym like that? <laughs> in the name you'd go in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus that's what you would I hear it already I know is in the name of Jesus <laughs> oh God help us all in the name of Jesus but you know men can be tempted with that kind of stuff too right hallelujah but my point is this is not subject to change see so when we when we go work out of the gym we work out we got the attire the proper attire now listen this is what happened I just want to share with you because of that consistency that no compromise in this there's a I got a lot of friends a lot of friends Talk to them about the Lord. A lot of friends in that gym, man. Okay? They, Sister Christina, Sister Lloyd, talk to them people about the Lord all the time. And so we have a lot of friends there. And there's there's one real big old guy, huge guy, man. He is massive. And I've never seen anybody that can lift like that man. He's just strong. So he he walked by me the other day and we we all we talk often. And uh, just recently met him, and we started talking. He's telling me about different things, and conversation came around. He said, "What church?" Because I told him, you know, I'm pastor a church. I told him this when I first met him, and so he said, "Well, what kind of church do you pastor?" I said, "Well, <clears throat> we're non-denominational, but we're apostolic Pentecostal." And I said something about I think it was Sister Lori. I don't remember what it was about, but anyway, uh, he goes, Apostolic Pentecostal. He said, and he pointed to my wife and he pointed to Sister Lori and he said, I saw the dress. And he said, that was the giveaway. Now, brothers and sisters, I didn't know this, but this real strong power lifter knows a man of God in this city that's a Jesus name, one God apostolic pastor. He knows this man. I said, I know that man. I know that man. 
And he said, yeah, he said, you know, there's certain things going on with his child. I said, I want to tell you something. That man of God and his wife and that church know how to pray. They say, if you know him, they know how to pray and they can pray for your child. Amen. But you see, the point is, is that because that's not compromised, you would be amazed at how many people out there in the world, in those gyms and places, they know by just looking at you, they know what you're all about. And you don't even realize it. Say, praise God, you don't even... What, what is that? That's a testimony. It's a witness. It's a witness, man. So we're not supposed to be changing all the time like a chameleon, depending on the environment we're in. Hallelujah. If you got convictions, then what's going to happen? You go in those places, people are going to see you. And here's the devil. The devil's going to tell you, look, they, they think you're an idiot. They think you're crazy. They, they're mocking you, but they're really not. You'd be surprised how many of those people respect that. Respect that. Say, praise the Lord. <clears throat> That's right. And not one time have we ever had anybody say anything negative in a negative way. So you maintain when, when you're, whether you be here in church or you be out in the world or the workplace or whatever, you maintain that standard where your skirt is to the knee, where you wear your leggings, fine for working out, but you wear that skirt so they see you. They know you're a woman. Hallelujah. Praise God. When, and when I go to the gym, brothers and sisters, when I go to the gym, I don't wear shorts. Well, I do, but they're underneath my, my sweatpants. I do. But I'm not saying I wear sweatpants over my shirts. Shorts. Shorts. Over my shorts. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I don't wear shorts to the gym. No, I ought to. Y'all didn't see that over here, did you? See that? <laughs> no, now you don't be lying in the house of God. You don't be lying in the house of God. Well, anyway. Sister Christina don't know this, but I was in there doing some squats and some heavy lift, heavy weight squats one day, and uh, some young girl said, "Why don't you wear some shorts because we can see what your legs look like?" That's what she told me, and I said, "You don't want to see it." I told her, I said, "You you don't. There's nothing. There's." I told her, I said, "There's nothing to see, man. Nothing to see. Hallelujah. Nothing to see." You don't want to see that. Don't want you don't don't you be lying in the house of God now. <laughs> right? Praise the Lord. So there there is a there's a, a modesty, there's a, a distinction between the sexes that we need to maintain, amen? And it's just right. It's just right. And you'll have a witness and people will respect that. And who knows it might win some people to the Lord. So I'm just encouraging you, and uh, I appreciate those of you who don't change. Whatever environment you find yourself in, you're the same. Hallelujah. <laughs> don't compromise with the Word of God. Hallelujah. 
You were, I know some of you, if you were to walk into another church and they, you know, they didn't say anything about makeup and everything else and, or pants, they didn't say anything about that. I know you'd keep being who you are. But there's some people, man, they're like chameleons. They change with their environment. And the Bible said you stay away from people like that. So they get you in trouble. Say praise the Lord. <coughs> so I appreciate your, your walk with God ultimately. Hallelujah. Sister Christina. So we're here giving a commentary on my physique. Hey! That's a good one, man. She said I'd talk about her beard. She's going to talk about my physique. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. You're not supposed to touch the Lord's anointing. <laughs> what are you doing? Right? Everybody say right. Say amen. So dress like you're a Christian. Right? Dress like you're a Christian. Beautiful. Hallelujah. Can y'all can y'all see Bishop and Brother Timothy walking around in one of those spaghetti shirt workout shirts? Don't do it, you said don't do it. <laughs> There, there's a there's a bodybuilder over there. I don't know if you know Adam or not. But he works at Flex 24 and and then Payne sometime. But he's a body professional bodybuilder. He competes, got second place. So when he walks, he walks like one, you know, like this. And I said, I told him the other day, I said, someday I'm going to walk like you. <laughs> he's my good friend, man. We have a good time. Praise the Lord. But anyway, just be consistent wherever you go. Hallelujah. Amen. See, I do. See, I don't have to get up here and take a big old ball peen hammer. Do I? Top your head? No. Hallelujah. Say, praise the Lord. You see, I'm touching something important. Need to touch it. Need to remind you every once in a while, don't I? That's right. Amen. Look, you never say we need to be reminded every once in a while. Now, if you're the kind that needs to be to be hit me to hit you with a ball peen hammer, then come talk to me, and I'll hit you with a ball peen hammer. Right? Aren't you? But aren't you really thankful that you haven't seen no brothers in the Lord walking around with those spaghetti workout shirts? Angelica's pat Andrew on the back. <laughs> <laughs> I 
God is good. Be faithful to the Lord in whatever you do. See, retain that witness. I promise you, people are watching you. They know. They know by looking at you, man. You have a testimony for Jesus Christ. Ultimately, I believe you're going to make a difference. I believe they're going to make a difference. I really do. I believe we're going to see people come. There's a, there's a man in the, a man already told us the other day, yesterday. A man already told us he's going to bring his wife to the house of God Sunday morning. Met him in the gym. Okay? So, praise the Lord. Good things. Some good things happening. Excited. Excited about God. Excited about God. All right, I need to finish up. It's 9.30. Amen. Praise God. So fear the King. Uh, fear the Lord and... And the king in this say, I would say in a sense of respect, meddle not with them that are given to change. Man, that's serious. Important. Stay with, look at your neighbor and say, stay with solid people. Hang around solid people. Don't hang around people that are not solid. Okay? I mean, yeah, you can be, have acquaintances and stuff like that, right? Leave the word of God. Just don't meddle with them. Verse 22, For their calamity shall rise suddenly, and who knoweth the ruin of them both? God's going to judge it. <clears throat> Verse 23, These things also belong to the wise. It is not good to have respect of persons in judgment. Don't be partial. Don't be partial. Say praise the Lord. Don't be partial. When you see somebody's got money, you see somebody handsome or pretty or whatever, you know, drive a nice car, whatever, so you treat them one way. And don't be partial, man. It's not a good thing. It's the word of the Lord. He that saith unto the wicked, Thou art righteous, him shall the people curse, nations shall abhor him. You will lose favor. You will lose favor. Listen, how many of y'all want to not lose favor with people? The, the right people. Okay, the right people. Okay, godly people. You don't want to lose favor with the, with godly people, then don't go around and, as the Bible says here, he that saith unto the wicked, thou art righteous, him shall the people curse, nation shall abhor him. Okay, if you justify the wicked in their wickedness, if you, are you with me? You say, we, you've got a, got a person that you know is, well, I'm not talking about just a person that's not a believer. We're surrounded by people that are not believers, and we're supposed to win them to God, to witness to them, to be involved in their life, right? So... But you've got somebody that is an avowed enemy to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know that they're an enemy to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're an enemy to His church. Now listen to me. If you're not faithful to the church, you're not faithful to Jesus. Because the church belongs to Jesus. 
and you have somebody that is an enemy of the gospel of Christ, that are enemy of the church, don't you ever say, they're not so bad. They're, they're really not bad. Because the Bible said you will lose favor. And what's going to happen is you'll lose favor with the people of God because you're justifying the wicked. Don't do that. You know, oh, they're not so bad. Really? They're not so bad? Mm -mm. Man, I want, I want the favor of God in my life and I want the favor of the people of God. And if I as your pastor stood up and you knew somebody okay, was an enemy, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I patting them on the back, they're okay, they're not so bad, I'd lose favor with you. Alright? Say praise the Lord, man. You don't, you don't do that. You recognize their condition, you say, well, I'll pray for them. Right? But you start trying to condone their actions or condone their lifestyles. Say, well, they're really not so bad. The only thing that could bring you to a place where you would say they're really not so bad is that you started walking in the same agreement, the same thought process, the same attitude that they have. You have to declare yourself. All right? So if you want to want to be around me, you can't be running down the church. If you want to be around me, hallelujah. If you want to be around me, you can't be doing that. Can't be talking about the people of God. Can't say praise the Lord. I said the people of God. Can't be running down the church I go to. Opposing the gospel of Jesus Christ, what I believe. Opposing holiness. Can two what together except they be agreed? The answer is no. And we're talking about good agreement. Agree with God. <laughs> Say praise the Lord. Are y'all awake? I don't, I don't get it, man. <laughs> Does somebody get around me and started running you down? I see. Well, isn't there a good invite him to dinner? No, that's my church. That's the people of God you're talking about. Say praise the Lord. You know, justify the wicked. What you're doing is you're losing favor with the people of God. And we can't do that. Draw the lines, man. So you either, you either agree with their lifestyle, right? Or you just don't have the courage to take a stand. Okay. Man, my goodness. But to them that rebuke him shall be delight, and a good blessing shall come upon them. You see what I'm saying? You rebuke him. No, man. You're wrong. Amen. You're going against the word of God. You're not right. Now, I promise you, if you do take a stand and you tell them and you rebuke them, they're not going to keep coming around you. You don't have to worry about it.
I'm talking about people that are enemies to the gospel of Christ, enemies of the church of the living God. Hallelujah. Are y'all with me? Do y'all understand what I'm trying to tell you today? So you, what do you do? You rebuke them. They ain't. They'll drop you like a hot potato. They sure will. My pastor, when I first got in church, he said, you know how to get rid of, get rid of your old friends? Get rid of old friends. Amen. They're still coming around knocking on your door. It's not good for you. He said, you know how to get rid of them? He said, they'll drop you like a hot potato if you start preaching to them. That's what happened. Man, I'll tell you, when I got into church, my old running buddies, one of them told me, he said, you'll never make it. You'll never make it. He said, you've tasted the good life. He's talking about partying, you know, how the good life, partying is the good life. He said, you'll ne never make it. You've had a taste of the good life. I said, you watch me. And this was when I was 18 years old. I said, you watch me. I'm not going to hell. And that's been almost 40 years ago. So he was wrong. <clears throat> so you watch me. I'm going to make it because I'm not going to hell. Well, guess what? I'd preach to them and won some of them to the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Won some of them to the Lord. One of them is a pastor over in Crane right now. And I wasn't the only one involved. Greg Young, a good friend of mine, was a Pentecostal, and we all worked together. But, you know, I don't take the credit. But I'm just saying, you're either going to win them, hallelujah, you're going to win them, or they're going to drop you like a hot potato. And we either won them to God, or they dropped us like a hot potato. Now, I'm not advising any of you to do this, but while I was so radical, so on fire, so genuinely saved by the love and blood of Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Ghost, when I got saved, all my buddies, everyone I had, they were all in the world a bunch of party nuts, man. And I'd find out where their parties were, and I'd go out there and I'd preach to them. And while, while, they, and while I was preaching to them, some of them were puking, they were so full of alcohol. That's the background that God saved me out of. But when I went out there, I didn't have a desire for Jack Daniels. I didn't have a desire to drink wild turkey anymore. Hallelujah to the Lamb. I went out there full of the power of the Holy Ghost in the name of Jesus. And I'd stand there and I'd preach to my friends about salvation, about eternity. And some we won, some we didn't. But you know, you know what I'm saying right now? It's what you got to do. You didn't go out there and say, hey, buddy, how you doing? Good. Hey, man. You, oh, you're drinking with him? No, they knew where we stood. Because we, we told them where we stood. We loved them enough to tell them the truth. Amen. And I promise you, man, I didn't have to ask any of, any of them that didn't want to live for the Lord. I didn't have to ask any of them to leave me alone. They dropped me like a hot potato. And that's what my pastor said would happen. He was right. They're either going to drop you like a hot potato or they're going to get right with God. Somebody's not right with God and knows better and knows better, you're supposed to be telling them. You're supposed to be preaching to them. Somebody said amen. And if you do, they're going to get right or they're going to drop you like a hot potato. And then most of the time they're going to point a finger at you. Yeah, 
and say, well, they don't want any, they want to shun us. How dumb. We didn't leave you. You left us. Let me say it again. We didn't leave you. You left us. We're still the same people that we've always been. If you want to play games and compromise, we're going to preach to you. And when we preach to you, you're going to get right. Or you're going to drop us like a hot potato. And we're not going to play this game. Do you have power? Do you have fire in you? Do you have a zeal for God in your heart? You'll either convert them or they'll convert you. I'm preaching by the Holy Ghost right now. I feel an unction. You're called to either win them to call them to the righteousness of Jesus Christ or they'll drop you like a hot potato. But you can't have the neutral ground kind of foolishness. Choose you this day whom you will serve. If God be God, then serve God. If Baal be Baal, which means a God who has no commands, then serve Baal. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Say praise God. But to them that rebuke him shall be delight and good blessings shall come upon him. And I thank God for some of y'all. Because I know you have challenges come around. But you remain faithful to the Lord. You're either going to win them, call them to righteousness, or they're going to drop you like a hot potato. And then they're going to say, they're going to try to put it on you. Nah, I ain't playing that game. I got enough fire and zeal in me to know the difference. I don't, I don't play the game. Never did. When I got in the church, man, it was for real. It was the real deal. It's still the real deal. Yes, sir. It's still the real deal, brother. It's still the real deal. Yes, yeah, it's still the real deal for me, man. I like no plan. No. I'd rather win them. You know how the best way to get rid of an enemy is? Win them. Win them. Make a friend of them. Win them to God. That's the best way to get rid of an enemy. But I promise you, they're not going to be friends if they're not going to do what's right and live for God. It's the way it is. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So guess what? When you come to church, if you're living right and I'm living right, guess what? Praise the Lord. It's going to be wonderful fellowship. If we're not living right, rebuke's coming. Rebuke's coming. And God's going to bless us for it. Y'all all right? Okay, not yet. It's not, it's, it's not ten yet. <laughs> Here we go. I'll tell you the truth, man. You either got it or you don't. You're either for real or you're not. You're either hypocritin or you're living for the Lord and you're a witness and you're a light and you're a testimony and your conviction puts the world under conviction and that's the way we should be. We should not lose our salt. You should not lose that saltiness that's in you. That when people see you, they you make them thirsty for holiness, thirsty for the righteousness of God. Thirsty, hallelujah. Fire. They'd season the sacrifices with fire and consume them. Season them with salt and consume them with fire. You need to be seasoned with salt. 
the fire of God in you, the zeal of God in you. Enough that would cause somebody to be challenged and changed. Every man shall kiss his lips that giveth the right answer. Forgive me. I'm just looking and I've, I've lost people. I guess they've all camped out. They probably haven't got a tent, huh? They going to have all night service. Then we get all their camping gear and canteens and Oh, I know. I, I know everybody here, man. I know every one of you. When you're not in here and when you're in here, I know. <laughs> I want to slip out. Praise the Lord, all of you in the back. I'm talking with the way, way, way back. Even further than that, back. My goodness. Every man shall kiss his lips that giveth the right answer, right? How many of you know when you need an answer, right direction in your life, if somebody gives you that answer, man, it, it boy, you just want to kiss somebody. Now we're not going to kiss nobody on the lips. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not kissing you on the lips. I'll kiss you on the lips. This is a cultural thing. It's like shaking the hand, you know. Thank you. Okay, that's that's a cultural thing here. Praise the Lord. I, I haven't really ever. I don't know too many people who ever gave me direction that I wanted to kiss them on the lips. And man, they, man, boy, that that direction you just gave me, I, it just makes me want to kiss you on the lips. <clears throat> I've never I've never felt that way. <laughs> but it feels good, doesn't it, when somebody brings good a good decision to your life, all right? Amen. Yeah, and I know somebody's saying, Well, a good decision, let us go right now. <laughs> but it wouldn't matter if I let you go right now, you wouldn't kiss me on the lips. <laughs> have you ever has anybody ever helped you and gave you an answer and you just made made you feel like kissing them on the lips anybody anyways this is a Marley to you Marley says yes it's okay Marley but I mean really it's it's good right this it makes you feel good man somebody helped you man somebody helped you right Prepare thy work without and make it fit for thyself in the field and afterward build thine house. We're getting back, we're really dealing with wealth here as a whole. So I know it's, we kind of drifted from that. But what he's saying is this, is, is build an, an economic plan. Okay? Have an economic plan. Prepare. Say prepare. 
build an economic, have a basis, have a foundation. Prepare for the building. Let me put it to you that way. Okay, so really this first way saying is pay as you go is the best approach. If you, the more you can avoid credit, the better off you are in life. Take the prepare, save, gather, and then build. When you have the money, then buy it. You'll be amazed at how much money you'll save in life if you say, I'm not buying that thing unless I got cold hard cash. You know how easy it is to sign the line, your name on the dotted line? It's easy for all of us, man. I've done it so many times. I'm an expert. <laughs> I am an expert. I promise you. I got an 850 score around there, you know. I'm an expert at it. So just take it from your pastor. Cold hard cash. You won't spend as much. You won't buy as much. But if you pay as you go, it's the best approach. That's what he's saying right here. You prepare everything and then you build. Say praise the Lord. So I listen, I go by the Word of God that I preach to you. And just being in the Word of God made me make a decision not long ago. Right? Say praise God. Yeah. You know? So then you got to try to find a used car you can pay cash for. And you go, my goodness. Man, you got to pay all kinds of money for a 100,000 mile car. Man. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's difficult. But if you stick to your guns, I'm not buying anything unless I can pay cash for that car, man. You know what I'm saying? Hallelujah. It saved you a lot of money. It's hard though, I know. Now, and then some people say, well, it's not, everything's not an economic decision. And I agree with you, it's not. Sometimes you do things for pleasure. It's not, not the best economic decision, is it? To buy a $3 Coke? But you've worked hard at, at your job, and so it's not a good economic decision. You want to enjoy yourself, then enjoy yourself. Right? Just don't do it when you're with me. <laughs> if I see you buy a Coke, I'm going to say, anyway, paying for poison. But I know, I realize there are things in life that we buy because we enjoy it, and they're not good financial decisions. I get that. And, I, I, you know, that's fine, Okay. But when it comes to building economically, if you want to build, the best approach is pay as you go. It means save and then buy. Save and then buy. And if you don't have it, don't buy it. Now, only thing, only exception, and there's nothing wrong with borrowing money. There's nothing wrong with it. I'm just saying the best approach. Probably, though, very rare any of us can pay for a house cash. That's something that I say praise the Lord. Now, there have been maybe once, maybe once or twice in our whole life that we have been debt free. We didn't even owe money on a house. Okay? So it can be done, you know? But it's difficult. It is difficult. Everybody awake? Okay. Yeah, I am so sorry. I didn't plan on keeping you guys this long, but y'all been such a good audience tonight and so receptive and so open and you've been right responding. And so when you do that, I'm just going to keep on preaching. 
Because it's so rare, it's so unique, it's so totally different that, man, wow, I'm, I'm here for the long haul. <laughs> okay, so if you want me to quit early, don't have anything to say, just sit there and look at me. And I'll get afraid of you and I'll quit. Okay, but y'all been so, such a great audience, man. I mean, I'm having fun. I'm going to keep you all night. And some of y'all are not worried about it. You're taking a good nap right now. And <coughs> so praise the Lord, man. Amen. So that's what you do. You build. You build. You save. You save. Then buy. Best way. Best way to go. Be not witness against thy neighbor without cause, and deceive not with thy lips. Don't lie about your neighbor. You get the point. Verse twenty nine. Say not, I will do so to him as he had done to me. I will render to the man according to his work. You get into revenge there. Verse thirty. I went by the field of the slothful and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding, and lo, it was all grown over with thorns and nettles, covered the face thereof, and the stone wall thereof was broken down. Then I saw and considered it well. I looked upon it and received instruction. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands of sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that travaileth, and thy want as an armed man. The only thing that you and I have to do, brothers and sisters, for everything to decay and everything to fall apart, you know what you got to do? There's only one thing you have to do if you want everything to fall apart and everything to run down. Do nothing. That's all you got to do. Because there's a law, what's called the law of entropy. And that law is that everything is running down. So if you want something to run down in your life, just don't do anything. Okay? Amen. Praise God. Please stand. You know, as long as you keep keep a, a, a yard, the weeds won't grow. As the grass is thick, the weeds won't grow. You don't keep it. You let it just, you know. Don't manage it. Guess what doesn't happen? You look out there, there's weeds everywhere. You don't take care of the fence. You look out there, the fence is going to fall down, collapse. you got to maintain things. How many of y'all love, love that your house never needs painting? It don't happen. Your house needs painting sometimes. So there's a law. There's a law. If you want something to... To decay, all you got to do is do nothing. Okay, say praise the Lord. So the answer then is to what? Be diligent. Be diligent. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. Because God knows, man. You know, some people, they say, they, they, they say, I trust God. They say, I'm trusting God with everything. You know, and they don't take care of anything. That's not the way you go. You don't say, I trust God for everything. Don't take care of anything. You're a steward. 
and I, you're a steward, and I'm a steward. What God gives us, we have to work with. We have to work it and, and, and keep it from running down and keep it maintained. Because if, if we don't, it will. And you can't blame it on God. Hallelujah. You can buy a piece of land and has weeds all over it and tumbleweeds and everything else. That's, that's, that's what it looked like when God had it. But when you buy it, you and God are supposed to clean that all up. Right? Right? Point being is a man bought a field one time and he built on that. Really nice things on that field. Somebody walked up to him and said, man, look what God did. God did all this. And the man was very wise. He said, it wasn't just God. He said, I applied myself to what God gave me. He said, you should have seen it when God had it. And nothing but tumbleweeds. You should have seen it when God had it. God will give you things, then you got to work with it. You got to build it. Say praise the Lord. That if you will, Hallelujah. That's why I appreciate y'all. That's why we got to constantly maintain this building, and you know, because if we don't, it'll just run down. That's the law of entropy. I love y'all. Thank y'all for staying late again. It's ten o'clock. Um, I pray this has been a blessing to you in the name of Jesus. Right. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask you right now, God.